Gentlemen, we went over the rules in the dressing room. I want to caution you to keep this fight clean at all times, and what I say you must obey. Live from the WKOM studio in downtown Columbia, it's time to wake up and get woke. It's three dudes with a view. Let's get it all! Welcome to Monday, Southernville, Tennessee. My name is Delph Kennedy, and I've got something gone wrong here. All right, my microphone's beating, Coach. Here, I just, I just need it. Sounds fine. It's still, still coming through on your computer. All right. Sorry. All right, we're gonna get straightened out here. My name is Del Kennedy. I am dude number three. Uh, dude number two, Clayton Harris, I think is still out there driving the bus. You out there, Clayton? Yes, sir. I'm here. Good morning, everybody. All right. You got a little Super Bowl lag going there? Is that? No, I, I, I really, uh, I went to bed as soon as the game was over. So uh, it's a great game. Ended on a penalty, but it's a really good game. There we go. Dude number one, Mr. Jim York. Good morning, Dale. Good morning, everybody out there. All right, regular special guest dude, uh, Carrie Powers, how are you? Excellent. Happy Monday. Oh, Carrie, I pulled up this morning and saw that big black Suburban parked out there. I knew it was either you or the vice president. No, you you, you probably thought the governor had come to say hello to you, Del. Right, right. And regular special guest, friend of the station, uh, Representative Scott Specky. How you doing? Good morning, everybody. All right, let's get all this out about the Super Bowl game. And I've got to confess, I don't have the ability to watch the Super Bowl at my house. I spent the evening with my uh, grandchildren. It was the oldest, uh, Margaret Barry Kennedy's ninth birthday. So we had a really big time. Uh, And Ridley Kennedy spent the night. She's helping us broadcast this morning. She's age four. Uh, All right. And Coach Mike Lyle, get in on this conversation. Talk talk about the game last night. It was... uh you know, it was, a, it was probably a, will will come down as a classic. Uh, it was decided, and like uh, Clayton mentioned, uh, decided in the last minute, actually the last second, as far as the points were concerned. But uh, uh, Philadelphia dominated the first half, but only could get one score ahead. That was that was the the telltale thing. Is they they dominated? I mean, completely dominated first half. Only one score ahead by halftime. Uh, or I guess ten points. I guess it was ten points by halftime. But uh, and then Kansas City just turned on, turned on the Jets when it was, uh, you know, in the second half. And Mahomes uh, probably solidified himself as as the you know the greatest currently active greatest quarterback available. Uh, he uh, he could barely walk off the field at the end of the first half. Comes back in and plays uh, plays an outstanding second half and uh basically wills them back coach mike's being way too nice and diplomatic about this it was a great game it was a great game but it ended on a terrible penalty that'll be talked about for years i mean it it was it was atrocious penalty called at the end of that game it was a joke complete and total joke what's your thing miss york yeah i'm gonna have to agree with the guys uh that penalty wasn't really a penalty you know it was active playing and uh they call that penalty but that's that's the way the, the nickel falls sometimes but it was a good game overall wasn't a lot of penalties in that game uh they had enough but uh it wasn't filled with a lot of 
uh, offsides and stuff like that. You had a couple, but uh, it was a good game. I thought it was very entertaining the whole period. Scott, oh, it was who a great pulling? game. You just ha- you hated seeing a great game yeah. like that decided by a penalty. I mean, it was just terrible, just terrible. Well, that's probably a rough that hadn't blown his whistle all all game, you know. <laughs> Scott, what'd you think? Well, I mean, it was a, it was a very interesting football game. I think one of the deciding factors was early was on that scoop and score that kept Kansas City in the ball game. Yeah. If they go to halftime down seventeen, then then Philadelphia can take a more uh, running the clock type attitude and 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 just uh, eat up eat up more of the clock. I think the best play, the most cerebral part of the whole game was the running back at the end coming down before uh, the scoring and and running more clock to keep it away from uh, to keep it away from uh, the Eagles. So uh, kudos to, to that to that uh, gentleman about making that call and then. You know what nobody realizes is that that's a lot of pressure to go out there and and, and you know kick that one through through the uprights. You're expected to do that uh, as a professional kicker, being one, but uh, it's still a lot of pressure to snap the hole and the kicks. All got to be perfect. Well, and of course in Philadelphia they rioted after they lost, um, folks. If <laughs> if you haven't been to Philadelphia lately, don't. Uh, they riot when they win. They riot when they lose. Huh? I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's right. Some friends who were up there like, went up there for the Preds game last week, and um, they they said, you know, you you need to stay in the places where they've got armed guards. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's light compared. Have you ever been in France when they're playing soccer against England? I was there. When they competed or were about to compete against England, and they actually go in the street and stop traffic and everything. I was on a bus where they surrounded the bus, beat beat on the windows, rocked the bus. Funny thing, though, the the bus kind of engine killed, so the the driver got outside and got him to push us off and give us a jump start. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think yeah, you see that. <clears throat> Soccer games in South America and Central America uh, sort of had the same flavor as well. Um, and uh, let's see, what, what else happened to the Super Bowl? AOC uh, comes out and says that the ads supporting Christianity in the Super Bowl are a, um, are a, uh, are designed to make fascism look benign. I have really no idea what she means by that. Did anybody see the ads supporting Christianity? I, yeah, there were a lot of ads yeah. that uh, wound up talking about love and Jesus Christ, and I think that was a good thing because the country is in a tizzy now with the meanness and and the annex that goes on. So they were were delivering a message of being a human being and accepting love. So I thought they did a great job in in, in overall. Not necessarily Super Bowl, but but in the country in general. You know the uh, the advertisement that I missed the most growing up is to Budweiser Clydesdales. Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> one. You know, I mean that was that was always something you looked forward to was how they were going to incorporate the Clydesdales into some kind of commercial. And and now there's you no know, most of the generation right now doesn't understand what I'm talking about right now. But you remember growing yeah. up, you would watch those Budweiser Clydesdales. How, how, you know, well, the best beer, the best commercials were the beer commercials. Yep. Uh, of course, they had the most money to throw into them and, and stuff. This mm. year, the one the one I noticed this year was 
basically three competing brands kind of combined into that. the into one commercial. I thought, golly, is, is it that expensive that even competitors have to <laughs> join forces to get a commer- get one commercial together? <laughs> Seven million dollars, mate. Yeah, well, I I know it's expensive, but that's <laughs> wow. What? How much was it, Mister Yor? Seven million. Uh, so bushes a- baked beans are doing that well. Wow. I used to babysit for the bushes yeah. when I was in Knoxville. Yeah. Oh, well. There's Big a- beans, uh, you know, Super Bowl, Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving. People yeah. use a lot of baked beans, Carrie. <laughs> hey, go. I mean, that's Tennessee Tennessee company. Go bushes mm. baked beans. Cobra. I'll advertise yeah. for them right now. <laughs> All right. and, they, and Peyton Manning. Well, <laughs> meantime, we've got but that four balloons shot down now, and the country is going hysteric, and the uh, national media is now, you know, covering uh, balloon launches above birthday parties, and um, it's just, you, you know, Mr. York, I'll tell you something. I'm, I, I always, you know, like I said, I always try to say when I agree and support the other side. One thing I'll agree with, with uh, President Biden, who said, you know, they spy on us, we spy on them, everybody spies on everybody. You know, this is nothing new. Yeah, what was funny, though, you got several citizens, and I think a couple politicians, looking up at the sky with AK-15 or 47 or whatever, like they're going to do something to the object 60,000 miles up, feet up, brother. Oh, no. Scott, what are we? Another ploy. Scott, were you in one of those pictures? No, I was not, Mr. No. No. No, I maintain my common sense. Well, everyone may spy, but we can make it easier. We can make it hard. I would vote that we make it hard. It just seems like we're under attack from the 1860s. With the balloons, you know. <laughs> well, it's such a. I mean, I mean it, it, it's so low tech that no one paid attention to it. I mean, I, I mean, that was the. You know, we were all worried about the high tech satellites and all these different, and you know, shooting down satellites and stuff like that. And then they come in with this kids' toy, you know, oversized kids' toy that just drifts across. We all just sit there and watch it. <laughs> Our Canada is in on it. You know, Canada's shooting them down too. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's been uh, it appears to be has anybody claimed them? I mean, the we Chinese know, claimed the first, the first one, one but yeah. who, who's claiming the other ones? Nobody that I've heard know anything. Of, have y'all? Yeah. I, I've not heard any of that, Scott. No, I have not. Um, they really don't know because when they shot them down, they fell in isolated areas, and they really got to go try to recover it, and yeah. uh, it's hard to recover. Yeah, but I think the first one, the, the big one that was shot down in the, in the Carolinas, the Chinese actually acknowledged it was yeah. theirs before it was shot down. Yeah, that, w- that was uh, Chinese, and they fessed up and got angry because it got shot down. Well, who else is mad at us? Who, who isn't? Who isn't Every, mad at probably us? Probably everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! You know, yeah, I thought I thought that was kind of funny when you know they send a balloon over our airspace, we shoot it down, and they they're complaining. And I'm like, you know, that's that's our airspace, isn't it? Yes. Well, but we not everyone thinks our borders are important limit. these days, Coach Mike. Not everyone thinks our borders mean much. You know, we'd have, you know, they they've already shown we fly over their airspace. They're going to shoot it down. <laughs> they've already shown that. When you're within 12 miles of the borders of the sea, the sea coast, uh, that's international waters. I mean, you know, outside Does China 12 have miles open borders? international. Does China have open borders these days? No. Who? Quit. 
Does China uh, have their borders open for anyone to come in at any time? Well, last time... Do they put them up in hotels once they do? Last time you had to get a six-month visa six months ahead before you could go to China. So they're not putting people up in hotels and giving them cell phones? No, it's kind of hard to get there, you know? Well, I'm, I'm sure that their border is open, Carrie. It's just the uh, accommodations may not be as what we expect in the, as in the United States. <laughs> yeah, the windows have a few bars on them. Yes. <laughs> well, no, I don't think many Russians are going to China. I, I, I tell you, we'll close this out. I want to get back to state business with Scott. But, you know, again, over the weekend, all the usual suspects, uh, the most of them Republican, uh, Go, you know, out screaming that, oh, the Chinese are a terrible threat. Now, folks, they have not attacked anybody in almost 3,000 years. Uh, but the Chinese are a terrible threat, and we've got to arm up, and we no way can we cut the defense budget anyway, anyhow. And uh, the Chinese are coming, the Chinese are coming, and the reason for that, folks, is the military-industrial complex needs a reason to exist I uh, heard one congressman talking uh, this weekend talking about how, you know, the uh, industri- military-industrial complex is making a field day, you know, with up to 90% returns on replenishing the arms that we are sending to Ukraine while most of the members of Congress own stock in these companies, which is not illegal for them to do. They can do insider trading. And... Uh, and so the Congress people uh, are getting rich off this business, and but the Russians who they've used for the bogeyman all these years for this defense spending, uh, they what 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 has happened is this Ukraine deal shows that their conventional military is no more powerful than the Vermont National Guard. So China's got to be the new bogeyman, so the military-industrial complex can keep on rolling and. Um, And, of course, what's going to happen here on this debt ceiling raising where the Republicans are demanding cuts that they're going to cave because they don't want any uh, cuts to defense spending uh, because they are in bed with the military-industrial complex, at least most of them, like Mitch McConnell, who told us we had to have the omnibus because the American people's number one priority was the war in Ukraine. Um, so just Delk, get, we still they're still selling farms to China. The last one I heard, I think somewhere in Wyoming, 370 acres. And I figured that's where the balloon came from. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> All right. Let's take a break. Come back. We're going to talk state business. Motor Sales is our area's premier GMC dealership. Their lot at 919 Nashville Highway has an impressive selection of GMC vehicles, trucks from the light-duty GMC Canyon to the Sierra 3500 Heavy Duty, and everything in between. GMC's SUVs are impressive with the Terrain, Acadia, and Yukon. Want luxury? Ask about Denali upgrades. Go to ParksMotorSales.com for information and see their awesome offers and services. Parks Motor Sales, GMC. We are professional. Grade. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. 
You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. A while back, I told you a story about Packer, our mascot, that Don found in the garbage truck after someone had thrown her out. Well, since then, I've been asked several times about Packer. Is she a dog or is she a cat? I guess I never thought to say, but she's a pit bull mix. And you can see a picture of her sitting in the driver's seat of Don's service truck on our website, garbagemaninc.com. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. Hello, my name is Connor Mims. My wife Bradley and I live in Columbia, Tennessee in Riverside. I am a deck and porch builder and my wife is a second grade teacher at Riverside Elementary. My specialty is designing and building elegant and comfortable porches and decks. Let me work with you to design and build the porch or deck of your dreams. Give us a call today from our website, MimsModernLandscape.com. That's MimsModernLandscape.com and check out what we have to offer. Thanks. I am Jack Blackstone. And I'm Emery Blackstone. Together, we are Greenway Tech Repair. Tired of slow computers, cracked phone screens, and fancy home electronics you don't know how to use? We can help. We provide local on-site services as well as remote troubleshooting for any job, no matter how large or small, from computers and laptops to mobile devices and home electronics. We Blackstone Brothers are eager to serve our community. Find us on Facebook at Greenway Tech Repair or by phone at 931-388-2691. That's on Facebook at Greenway Tech Repair or by phone at 931-388-2691. Hello, this is John McEwen with McEwen Group Real Estate, located at 17A Public Square in beautiful downtown Columbia. Our family has over 40 years' experience selling farms, residential, recreational, and all types of real estate here in Middle Tennessee. Check us out online at McEwenGroup.com or on Facebook and Instagram at McEwen Group, or give me a call today at 931-628-1749. McEwen Group, land is your legacy.
All right, we're back. Three dudes with a view. I'm dude number three, Del Kennedy. Dude number two, Clayton Harris. Stepped out of the room for a minute. He'll be back in a second. Dude number one, Mr. Jim York. Good morning. Good morning, Del. Good morning, everybody. Regular special guest dude, Carrie Powers. How are you? Excellent. Happy Monday. And friend of the station and regular guest, uh, Scott Sapecki, Representative Scott Sapecki. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, everybody. All right, Scott. What's going on in the legislature? The legislature is in full bloom, folks. Mm-hmm. They're they're in in session. Business is being done. Uh, the spring, uh, the, they'll probably be in session to May through June. May, until May or no, June? No, not not May or June. No, 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 no. 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 We are too dangerous that that long being up there. Be right. careful there, Del. I agree with that. Way too dangerous. <laughs> well, it's it's uh, it's all happening right now, though. It is. And uh, so, Scott, what's going on? Well, let me roll through it real quick. And you guys stop me anytime you have a question on this. I want to go through the uh, proposal that Governor uh, Bill Lee has set forth in the budget at the state of the state, and go through some of the highlights here. And then you guys can make comments anytime you want or ask me a question on how's that okay. Will do. There we go. Uh, First of all, uh, the investment we've made with our TCATs and our career technical education uh, in the last three or four years has been unprecedented. All right. TCATs are? Uh, Tennessee Centers for Applied Technology. We've got one in Hohenwald, one in Pulaski. That is correct. That is correct. Uh, Governor Lee is proposing adding $1 billion for six new TCAT facilities across the state of Tennessee and also renovating the existing TCATs to bring them up to more um, modern levels. So $1 billion investment to create more opportunities for these kids to become HVACs, uh, 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 welders, uh, all kinds of different uh, technical fields so that these kids can find these jobs right away and and get in these fields quickly. And these these TCATs, though, yeah, educate folks for... uh, those kind of jobs and they make and these are the kind of uh good paying jobs that people may choose not to go to college and attend a tcat that's true and uh learn learn a trade and it's and it syncs up with our investment in our high schools and middle schools ramping up their uh, career technical programs also so it's going to try to be seamless that you can start your career technical path hopefully by your sophomore year of high school get get some credits underneath your belt and then get into the tcats as quick as you can and get out of those to start your career field so that was that was the first big one that he threw out there that's a big one Scott, let me ask you a question. We just had on on the station here this last week a number of young kids dealing with robotics mm-hmm. and and demonstrating how that is uh, effective. How they learn how to uh, deal with robotics in school on a, on an amateur level. Mm-hmm. Why don't the state invest in putting robotics in every high school across the the the, the state? That is correct, Mr. York. We, last year in the budget, we put $1 million in every high school to, for the purchase of those types of machineries, that type of technology to ramp up those career technical programs in our high schools. We also made an investment of half a million dollars in every middle school for the same reason. And you're right on, Mr. York. you got to start early with them. you got to get them interested in what they're trying to do. Make sure they have the equipment in the high school so that they can transition into the TCAT center uh, seamlessly. Yeah, right here in Murray County, I think uh, down in uh, Mount Pleasant is mm-hmm. the only school that's actively engaged in robotics. The, right, Dell? I don't know, but I, I suspect that that's seems that seems correct. Like Hampshire has partnered with UT on agriculture, so we give the flexibility for them to tailor. Yeah. It might be robotics, maybe agriculture, maybe right. whatever, yeah. or, or computer sciences. We give them the ability to tailor their schools of what the needs are in their areas, so they have a lot more flexibility. Those those middle schoolers and their robot, they were impressive. 
Mm-hmm. That was quite a, an accomplishment they've got there. Uh, All right. Next up, we have uh, starting in August. Last year in the budget, we had a one-month sales tax holiday on food. This year, the governor has proposed three-month sales tax holiday on food starting in August, September, and October. Um, and that's that's what the governor's proposing. My gut feeling is we're feeling this out as we move slowly towards this. I would say probably within three or four years, you'll probably see the tax on food and pharmaceuticals go away in, in, in the state of Tennessee. There you go. Uh, $150 million for small business incentives to try to get small businesses more technology and the ability to ramp up to a real world and real speed. Uh, adding $250 million to the rainy day fund will take it over $2 billion. Uh, we are the largest rainy day fund in the country right now. What does a rainy day fund do? Uh, it provides some insurance that if we do run into any kind of shortfalls in the budget, we don't have to come back with taxes. We have funds to cover that. Uh, one-time investment of additional $3 billion in infrastructure. Governor Lee, we have about a $22 billion backlog of TDOT projects, Tennessee Department of, of Transportation. Uh, Governor Lee is proposing a one-time investment of an additional $3 billion to be divided up into the three grand divisions. Um, our area would get roughly $750 million. There's actually four different TDOT zones, but we would get roughly $750 million for our region. Let me give you an example here. The interchange on Bear, Bear Creek Pike, that's roughly $60 million, that one project. The project up on Buckner Road, the interchange there, is also another $60 million. Good. Great. Now, here's what's interesting. The expansion of Highway 31 going north up to 840 that everybody's talked about doing to help Spring Hill out, that's now broken up into two projects because the cost has escalated so much. If they finish that road, that expansion going north from basically duplex road, making it four lanes all the way to 840, that's about a $220 million project. So $750 million doesn't go very far. But it at least at least allows us to start targeting projects that we can start moving forward in. And I'm sure, um, I know I'm speaking for Senator, Lee, Senator Hensley here and Mr. Capley, but I'm sure we'll be making our weekly phone calls to TDOT about the, the uh, Bear Creek Project, Four Lane, and also the uh, Highway 31. There you go. Scott, well, I've got a question about that. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're breaking it up by a grand division. Um, you know, I get that. And, of course, you've got all those different districts where representatives need to take care of their district but middle tennessee is the fastest growing part of the state uh seems like we ought to get a little more a little more love out of this well the best part about it at delca is because it's a one-time investment what you're doing is you're sprinkling that love all over the state which frees up the money that tdot spends the 1.2 billion dollars a year on their own projects that they're working on yeah now they can target it more specifically for those areas that are growing the most that need the most love okay but if you sp- if you take the three billion and spread it out across the state then everybody's feeling that they're all being taken care of at the same time i get it it's you know some sometime that's the way the politics are, and you got to roll with it. Well, you got to keep ninety five counties happy too. Yeah, yeah. Um, three hundred million. Now here, here's what's really big for folks: three hundred million dollar grants for local infrastructure. So there'll be money that Murray County will be able to pull down for our bridges that I know Mr. Boshears and the county commission are very concerned about. They'll be able to pull down individual money outside of the $300 million that's out there, outside of the $1.2 billion. It'll be an additional $300 million that we can send down to the locals to, to help them out to, for their own infrastructure projects that they deem important also. So that that's going to the county road superintendents that, across the state. Mm-hmm. There, there we go. 
Now, so, so Scott, was that part of the six point three billion over five years from the federal formula for infrastructure? Uh, hold on, uh, let me go back and look at that. The three billion is all state money. That's that's from non recurring money that we have on the side. The three hundred million from local infrastructure. That's a sprinkling between the two, Mr. York. Little, okay, little, so, little bit of state, so little bit of some because I think Tennessee had something mm-hmm. like 881 bridges and about 270 miles of roads that need to be uh, improved in conditions. That is correct. Now, remember that, that money, that TDOT, that $1.2 billion outside of that, that does have federal money in it, too, for, for the maintaining of, this, of the state highways. Well, thank you for acknowledging that. Appreciate mm-hmm. it. Yeah, sometimes Washington actually does something good. It's a, it's a, it's a miracle when it happens, though. I do. This, um, this may be a silly question, but... I'm curious about the oversight on things like this. Three, say we do get a grant for the county road crew. I'm just curious about the oversight. Sometimes I question the efficiency. Um, we got to watch it right out this front window. Well, well, what TDOT does, whenever we send grants down, oversight is provided by the comptroller. Uh, Jason Mumpower, the comptroller, um, he watches our money extremely closely. Uh, he does not like any type of people that uh, he does not like any uh, misappropriation of funds, um, and he will do his he will do his due, due diligence and send reports down to the county. Um, if there's any malfeasance involved, I'm sure that the uh, that would be turned over to the district attorney as as protocol. Now, after that, it's up to the district attorney whether or not they want to prosecute after well, that. Malfeasance and efficiency, I think maybe I just would like to think that uh, government type positions and private entities operated at the same level of efficiency, but that may be a pie in the sky. Nobody misappropriates money. You know that. Right. Yeah. I did, yeah. That's why we have oversight. Yeah. And the county road superintendent is elected. All of them, not to, the, let's make it clear, though, the county road superintendent had nothing to do with the West 7th Street project. That was under the city of Columbia's management. And uh, they just ran into COVID and uh, some other things that just were obstacles. Um, Gravity. Yeah. Referring yeah. <laughs> to the drains out here. My Lord. Yeah. I'm just moving on. There. Moving on. $350 more million for the TISA funding formula that's coming out. TISA is the new funding formula we have for our schools. Uh, that's on top of the $1 billion increase we put in last year. So another $350 million making sure that our schools are made whole, make sure they have all the necessary tools. We've heard from legislators now for over, or I'm sorry, we've heard from educators now for over a decade that if you give us more money, we'll get you better results. Here you go, folks. Here's $350 million just in this year. Just this year on top of the $1 billion from last year. So this is the grand experiment is <laughs> if more money will solve the problem, we will see if it's going to solve the problem. Also in that uh, 100, $125 million more increase for teacher pay. But this is a big one, and we've talked about this. I've talked about this with Speaker Sexton. And able to get more people involved in the profession, you've got to be more competitive with the pay. All right? It has to be more attractive. Uh, Governor Lee is proposing that by 2026, we will move the minimum teacher pay from 38000 to $50,000. That would put us top six in the country at starting pay. So more money invested, higher pay. I'm assuming we'll get better results, right? Don't all answer it at once. But Scott, here's the deal. The governor's talking about making Tennessee independent and talking about not taking the federal funds Mm -hmm. that would actually hamper 
any kind of education for special needs kids. Are you supporting that? Yeah. Why Why would it, Mr. York? Explain that to me, because all we're going to do is we're going to fill the gap with state money. You're going to fill the gap with all the federal money for all the federal programs with state money. Yeah, it's $1.2 billion. <laughs> we got a surplus of four. That's ludicrous. That's ludicrous, Scott. Well, why? Why? I mean... Do you, Mr. York, hold on. Hold federal on, hold money on. touches so many different programs, special needs, and you're gonna you're gonna tell me a state that's classified as one of the less wealthiest states in the nation, you're gonna fill a gap? Well, well, let's let, let's look at the philosophical part of it first, Mr. York. You're a big proponent of local control. I hear you talk about it all the time. This is a way for Tennessee to gain local control over education that we can pass more autonomy and freedom down to our teachers in the classroom. That they that's can not choose. local control. That's that's educational suicide. No, not at all. Have you seen what's happening now? I mean, Mr. York, if you look at the results that we're getting from our educational system right now, how can you defend that, that, that the, the students we're turning out right now are able to do the work that, that they're supposed to do as adults? So why not 87 percent of the teachers in the state of Tennessee are Caucasian. Okay. Why don't we diversify and, and get education where it needs to be, like it used to be in the in, 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 in the states? Now you're not you're not dealing with a rational uh, a logical well, way of dealing with education. You're trying diversity, but we're trying to exclude topic. federal government well, what's because you don't want to you don't want to meet the mandates that federal government gives in terms of equity. Well, well, there's no guarantee of equity anywhere in the Constitution. There's a guarantee of equality, but there's no guarantee of outcome to our students. You, 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 are you saying that if a student does nothing in school and another student studies hard, they should have the same equitable outcome? They should have, they should, I'm not saying they have the same equitable outcome. I'm saying they ought to have the opportunity. That's called, now, that's called When the equal. federal government sends money down, they mm-hmm. want all students that it covers to participate. Yeah. On the state level, y'all are going to be selecting the students that participate. So have have you seen a bill like that, Mr. York? I'm not aware of any bill like that. No, but I, I'm trying to get the idea why are you supporting getting rid of federal funds when this state is poor as dirt? and needs the federal funds. In terms of fiscal responsibility, we're the wealthiest state in the country right now. Mr. <laughs> Mr. York, do you believe do you believe that our teachers and our principals at the local level understand our our needs of our students better than some bureaucrat in Washington? Exactly. And why don't you send the money and let them decide rather than up at the legislature try to organize and tell them where you're going to send money to. I'd like to speak on that when we come back. As someone who sent three kids to probably the poorest Title I school and having some insight into the special ed, which are two huge pieces of our federal pie, I'd love to speak to that. Sure. All right, let's take a break and come back. This is Barry Duke, and you're listening to 101.7 WKOM Columbia. At 
Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, you can count on us. We know that Jeep owners are one of a kind. Choose from our huge inventory or build your own one of a kind Jeep from the ground up. Stop by today and one of our product specialists will help you customize the Jeep you want. Wrangler, Grand Cherokee, and Grand Wagoneer in the perfect color. Gotta have them options, powertrain, and more. And now, take advantage of the Jeep Wave program. More free maintenance at no additional cost. Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, you can count on us. Online at ColumbiaCDJR.com. Hi, this is Terry Tillis from Tillis Jewelry. Here is what some of our customers are saying about us. Great people. The place to shop for fair prices and great craftsmanship. Beautiful vintage and custom jewelry. Thank you, Beth. That is our goal. Stop by and see for yourself. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Tillis Jewelry, downtown Columbia and Lewisburg. Owned and operated by Rick, custom designer and Terry, registered gemologist. Assuring you the best jewelry value and expert services. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole barn. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. Hi, this is Dr. Wendy Tui from the Dr. Gill Center. Are you suffering from knee pain despite trying usual medications and injections? If this is you, I have great news. Most common causes of knee pain are degeneration due to aging, injury, or repeated stress. In our office, we offer decompression for the knee, which increases range of motion and decreases pain in arthritic and degenerative knees. Studies have shown that this type of mechanical traction can be more effective than conventional methods alone. Initial exam and x-rays, $39. Call mepainfree.com or 615-551-9224. Kick off the new year with new home upgrades from Hiller. This month, when you buy something you need for your home, we'll give you something you want. For a limited time, when you purchase a new whole home generator, new tankless water heater, or select new HVAC systems, we'll give you a free 55-inch TV, free solo smokeless stove, or a free Nintendo Switch. Pick your prize when you upgrade essential systems for your home. Don't wait. Book online at happyhiller.com today. Call the happy face truck today. This is Dr. Mike Steele. Tune in to American Steele, a weekly discussion of topics and events related to the challenges in our world. Listen as we examine the path to relevance and truth in our society and culture. You can catch the show on 101.7 WKOM at 7 p.m. on Sundays. Also, we can be found online at WKOM Radio or on Twitter at WKOM WKRM. See you on Sunday. All right, we got Miles Johnson from Foodland. We're going to find out what's happening with him. Miles, this is Terry from the radio station. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's uh, another week, so I know you got some more great specials for us. So, what's on tap this week? We have our normal one week ad, which features assorted pork chops, $1.69 a pound, strawberries, two for five, iceberg lettuce, 99 cents each, and Coca Cola six packs, three for 12, and Dr. Pepper six packs, two for seven. Well, thank you. And again, Miles, you're open seven days a week, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. right there on West 7th, right by the post office. Thank you, and thank uh, all of your great staff. Uh, they're always very friendly whenever I come in. And, uh, Miles, we appreciate talking to you. Uh, I'll talk to you next week, and you and the folks at Foodland have a great day. All righty. Thank you. You too. Thank you. All right. That was Miles Johnson from Foodland. If there's something you want to see and you don't see it there, ask them, because they are very, very good about getting stuff for you. So... Just to do 
boys, you've got to draw a hard line. When the gun smoke settles, we'll sing a victory tune, and we'll all meet back at the local saloon. We'll raise up our glasses against evil forces, singing whiskey for my men and beer for my horses. All right, we're back. Three dudes with a view. I'm dude number three, Delp Kennedy. Dude number two, Clayton Harris. How you doing? Doing well, Delp. Good morning, everybody. Dude number one, Mr. Jim York. How are you? Good morning, Delp. Good morning, everybody. Regular special guest dude, Carrie Powers. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, regular special guest and friend of the station, State Representative Scott Specky. How you doing, man? Good morning, everybody. And I believe you were talking about, or you and Mr. York were talking about... Uh, uh, the contribution of the federal government, federal funding for education in Tennessee. Yeah, let me do a reset real quick here, Mr. York, just to just to reset the table here of what the proposal is. Currently, Tennessee receives about one point two billion dollars from the state of Tennessee from the federal government to supplement our educational system. The bulk of that money is Title One funding for food. Title One funding for food. However. We accept that money, and, and strings come with that from the federal government. So what the proposal is from the speaker, and I support it, is we, we stop taking the $1.2 billion from the federal government, and we switch that responsibility to the state government in Tennessee so that the funding that goes to the school systems for food and all of the other special needs and things like that comes from the state of Tennessee instead of from the federal government. So the, the budget is made whole by the state of Tennessee. Therefore, we, get, we gain autonomy from the federal government in regards to how we are going to do education in Tennessee. That's what the proposal is. So what's the strings? What's the, what's the complaint about the strings, Scott? That's what people need to know. You, oh. you, you know, buzzwords like strings, mm-hmm. attachments, and all that. Sure. What are the strings in, in using federal funds for every student in the state of Tennessee? Last I looked in 2017, the state of Tennessee took 13 point some billion dollars from the federal government. Yeah, Mr. York, that's right. But remember, the bulk of that is highway funds and 10 care, not education. The bulk of that is highway funds and 10 care, and we do a match. But that's kind of off topic a little bit. So what's the strain? So, what's what's well, the strains when sure. you've got a money to feed children, to mm-hmm. educate children, and, and, and to help out with the school situation? I saw a lot of strings when I was on the school board. Well, the, the, Mr. York, the strings aren't with the food. The strings come from the food. So when we take the food money, federal government puts overlays into uh, special education uh, and, and, and the amount of paperwork, the amount of oversight that has to go in to where now the schools are having to divert so much money and so, ma- so much personnel into staying within compliance of federal education guidelines and what's taught in the classroom, what can be taught, what can't be taught, what, what things in Tennessee that, that the federal government is pushing down on us. The Biden administration is trying to push stuff down through Title I funding that requires us to do things and teach things to our kids that the bulk of Tennesseans don't want our kids being taught. Give me one string about food that relates to food that the federal government requires the state of Tennessee to do when they take federal money. Well, what they say, Mr. York, is in the way they've intertwined this, and they've been very smart about it over the years, is the special education, if you say, well, you know what, we're not going to do we're going to fund our special education ourselves. What the federal government does is that's fine. Now you lose all your Title I funding for your food. All of the strings that they put in the classroom 
they tie to food, and that's the big that's the big cost there. And so, it's- so what's the problem with that, Scott? If if they say special needs kids need food, and and food also feeds the other population of the school, what's so bad about that? That that's there's not- a lot of hungry kids coming to school every day. Well, what's the problem with the state of Tennessee providing that money, Mr. York, to gain the autonomy and freedom at? So well, why don't you add to the pot? Put put the money in. Let, take the federal money and put your Tennessee money in it. That you can you can do that, Mr. York, but that's a philosophical decision that 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 legislators have to make in Nashville. Is well, you're one of those legislators. Help make that decision. All Let's right, that, combine all right. the resources of federal government and the local governments, the state of Tennessee, and make it even better for students in school. But it won't make it any better, Mr. York, because you're still going to have those federal overlays in the classroom. And if you talk to teachers, like I have across the state of Tennessee, they're clamoring for the days of when they can go into the classroom and just teach the kids what they have to know without all of the reporting data that the federal government makes them do. Not even on on special ed students, Mr. York, but on general population kids, too. So we're trying to gain some freedom and autonomy, and it seems like what's happening is the department, and and we've already received phone calls from the Federal Department of Education. They're in a panic mode right now because they know Tennessee financially can do this. With all due respect, Scott, this mm -hmm. freedom lingo that you all are talking is a bunch of BS. Okay, Mr. York, but you aren't answering the question of what is the advantage of taking federal money, and I don't want to hear the answer right now. I want Carrie Powers, former member of the school board, to uh, tell us what her experience was with this federal money as a school board member. Well, I do not have all the answers, but I can say what I saw. One, as a school board member, and number two, as a parent of uh, three children that went through a Title I school, and I sat on the Title I. You had to have parents on the Title I committee, so I would sit in the meetings, and it just seemed to me that anything that was federal, we were spending so much money into the people who were overseeing it, managing it, and um, it seems very inefficient to me. If we can get 100% of the pie that we, you know, say federal money, if I understood you to say, was $1.2 billion. billion, if we can get that same amount of money, but we aren't spending money on the layers of upper level management. I know when Scott Gaines went from being assistant superintendent of schools, it was during my time on the school board, he was moved to a different position of oversight of federal funds and he was making $97,000 and every meeting that I attended as a parent had both the supervisor of federal funds as well as their assistant. Each Title I school then has two people that oversee the utilization of of Title I money. That is just a lot of layers that really isn't directly benefiting the kids. If we can keep our pie whole of $1.2 billion and take out all those levels, that's a lot of money that's going directly to kids. And I also am going to say that I feel like I can trust the teachers to do what's right by the kids. I can trust the good teachers, and I think we have a lot of them. And then as far as the food goes, you know, when I, I was speaking to the director of food service recently, the last few years, 100% of the kids got the benefit of free lunch. And he was saying that um, I, one of my kids had... I needed to settle a balance, which I did. But he was like, you know, we're waiting for the federal government to tell us if we get two feed 
100% of our population again this year, and then I'm going to have to reimburse your money. I mean, that's just inefficient. Those are my thoughts. It's There's a lot of, lot, 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 lot of money going into the oversight of these funds that I don't think directly benefits the kids, so I think it's wasteful. All right, Scott, what else? Um, $300 million more for 10 care. Uh, we have that shared savings plan that we negotiated with the federal government. Uh, we are returning three hundred million money, three hundred million uh, to the federal government on their share. We are reinvesting three hundred million more into ten care. We will now be able to cover an additional twenty five thousand uh, Tennesseans, uh, mothers and children in in ten care to provide health care for them also. Uh, 190 million more in DCS for pay raises and supplemental supports, making sure that they have the necessary funds to retain their employees. And this, that DCS is the Department, Department of Children's Services, Services, and this has to do with the crisis we witnessed in the mm-hmm. last year of uh, foster children sleeping in the halls and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, an inability of the Department of Children's Services, either through resources or mismanagement, to handle the workload coming at them and find appropriate foster placements. And so this will bring their pay up in, into more of a um, private competitive balance there that we should be able to retain more of our, our DCS personnel. And and the DCS has suffered a, an untoward num- turnover number. So. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, Ten million more for foster care supports and adoption expansion. Uh, Governor Lee and Speaker Sexton and Speaker McNally are all in on trying to make uh, Tennessee, the most adoption-friendly state in the country, uh, to the part uh, to the point of almost making it free to adopt a child that is in DCS custody or going through the foster care system. Uh, and then, lastly, this is the big one here: conservation. Here, uh, four hundred fifty million for the creation of seven new state parks across the state of Tennessee, also along with upgrades to existing facilities. And I think it's Still House Falls in Murray County. Is that correct? Still House Falls? That's the name of it, Scott. Down near uh, Summertown, Mount Pleasant. They are one of the uh, parks that are targeted for expansion. So maybe, just maybe, we got our fingers crossed, we might pick a lodge up over there. That'd be a neat place for it. And then lastly, uh, law enforcement. uh, On top of the 25 forensics uh, uh, scientists that we had for the the rape kits that came about, uh, Governor Lee is proposing another 25 on top of that for a total of 50. And these are are lab technicians, folks. That's correct. Who uh, do rape kits, who analyze... Uh, all different kinds of evidence. Yes, substance uh, for substances for illegal substances like narcotics, uh, DNA evidence, all that kind of thing. And there's been a tremendous backlog uh, with the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation uh, in getting those services done for local law enforcement. So their goal is to, instead of taking it months, it takes maybe a week or two and they get all this information back. It'll make our, our criminal justice system a lot more efficient. Uh, also, uh, 142 new state troopers. On top of the 100 we had last year, um, fentanyl is a scourge on our society right now. We've got to get this under control. And the amount of illegals and sex and sex trades or sex trafficking coming out of the Southwest is coming straight through Tennessee. We've got to get a handle on this very quickly. And so we're ramping up our state troopers. Lastly, um, 120 new Homeland Security agents for each county in Tennessee. Murray County will have their own uh, Homeland Security officer that liaisons with all the different uh, entities of, of, of uh, crime and drug prevention so that it flows more seamless. The information shared between all of all of the different law enforcement agencies will become more efficient so we can basically make it a, a, a instead of one-off attacking this and that, it's, it's a group effort to address all the issues in Tennessee. That wraps up the state of the state. There we go. 
Hey, Scott, out of the $4.2 billion that the uh, Tennessee Department of Education is getting from the federal government, there's about $32 million for learning and technology. What what kind of push is the legislature encouraging local educators to use that money for? Well, that, that's a local decision that, that, that flows directly down to them, Mr. York. We don't have much oversight on that. A lot of these federal funds come directly from the feds. They don't go through the state government. They are just sent down on a grant basis or basically as a budgetary item. Um, we are encouraging them at the state level. We are working on computer sciences for all kids to learn how to, how to be fluent in computer sciences. That opens up a lot of opportunities for them. But uh, trying to make sure that they have the most freedom and autonomy to make the decisions at the local level that's uh, that's what we're trying to do okay last question yes sir there's a big push in ten in, in the state legislature to reduce the number of councilmen in in davidson county from 40 to 20 mm-hmm. are you supporting that push yes sir i believe it make davidson county extremely more efficient and so where's the local control if you if that city decides they want 40 councilmen, that should be their decision. I think this was voted on once before. Now the legislature, because you have a supermajority, is pushing that act. Why? Well, like I said, once again, it's it's easier for the uh, council to focus more efficiently on 20 than it is to focus on 40. Well, you don't know that. Well, no, that's a fact. You, why I mean, don't we reduce the number of legislators in the, in the House of Tennessee? Maybe that would be more efficient. Well, constitutionally, Mr. York, you have basically they're broken up into population bases. You could do that by just t- just changing the Constitution to allow for representatives to re- to have more of a say or more of a represent more of a population representation. But then what happens is, Mr. York, now it makes it more difficult for me to go and talk to all of my constituents because I'm representing so many. That's why the senators represent 130,000 and we only represent about 60,000. We we had the same problem here in Murray County for commissioners from 22 to 11 and they went berserk. Mm -hmm. Nobody wanted that. Mm -hmm. So why do you feel that legislators that don't live in that area can go in and say I'm going to vote for changing them from 40 to 20 and they'll have a happy City Council. Well, a more interesting question, Mr. York, is why are you upset by it? Because it's it's interfering with local control that he's sitting up there talking about, spouting local control, but they're trying to over they're trying to make it easy for them to continue to propagate a supermajority in government across the state. But Mr. Mr. York, the forty and the twenty still have the local control. It doesn't matter how many people are sitting there; they still make the decisions. We'll solve all this. I saw an interesting exchange on that issue.